0: I'm Elena Salinas, software engineer and host of The Women in Tech Show, a podcast about what we work on, not what it feels like to be a woman in tech. For more information about the show, go to wit.fm. In this episode, I talked to Mia Reyes, Director of Foundational Security at Microsoft. Mia started working in tech after several years of experience in foreign policy. We talked about her past experience and how it relates to her role in security product management. Mia also gave a general overview on what built-in security is and examples of common vulnerabilities. We also talked about some of the challenges she's had throughout her career and how she's tackled them. This episode is part of a series of shows featuring speakers at Microsoft Build, an annual technical conference by Microsoft. Thanks to Microsoft for sponsoring the show and letting me attend the event. I'm here at Build with Mia Reyes, Director of Foundational
1: Security. Mia,
0: welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much, it's great to be here with you.
0: Yes, and like I said, we're here at Build, so what brings you today?
1: This is my first time at Build, actually. Very, very excited to be here, even though I've been with Microsoft for five years and I live in Seattle my whole life, this is my first time at Build, so super excited. I am here at Build to shine a spotlight on developer security. So my team, we're the built-in security team, the build, uh, foundational security team at Microsoft. And we are bringing a couple of different sessions, um, partnering with different engineering teams. So. The first one, we actually had it yesterday. We co-hosted a session with some fabulous partners in Azure engineering from the security side. And we kind of brought them out. We've been working on a blog series with them. And on that session, we really focused on having our security experts from Azure and our leadership from Azure talk about, you know, how does Azure build security into its development life cycles? So that was kind of one is like bringing a little bit of a spotlight on that and then we just got done with a really really great session like hundreds of people online packed room which is great right when you're a build and you see all these people it makes you feel like super proud and we were working on secure software supply chain for that one and so we brought out some experts from the Secure Software Supply Chain Engineering side, and we had them talk about this consumption framework that Microsoft has implemented, but that we're now sort of sharing with customers on how we use the framework to improve our own software supply chain security. So great sessions, super fun, but at a high level, you know, we're here to just kind of talk a little bit more about developer security.
0: Are there any particular main highlights within it? Because I know Microsoft has a lot of security products and best practices, but is there one key new thing.
1: Yeah, well, you know, in the supply chain consumption, the session that we held on there, we talked about SBOMs, which are the software bill of materials. And it's something that has become a part of what's called the US cyber EO, the executive order. So basically, you know, at a high level, it's a guiding principles from the US government on like, hey, here's how you can make you know, here's how you can build and design more secure stuff, right? As technology companies, as software providers. And one of the things is like they're recommending is having software bill of materials. So basically like an ingredient sheet of all of the open source stuff and, and all the stuff that you're kind of ingesting. And we, as Microsoft, talked about our software bill of materials, how we're adhering to that, launching that, but that was kind of a really cool thing to talk about and lots of interest in it from the developer community, as you can imagine.
0: And you mentioned earlier, you've been at Microsoft for five years. I have. In Seattle for your whole life. But prior to working here and specifically in the security area, you worked in the music business. You were leading nonprofits and you also worked in foreign policy. So I'm curious what led you to here, to Microsoft and working in security after very different experiences.
1: Yeah, you can say I've lived many lives. (laughs) I've lived many, many lives. So... I will say that I had a very varied background before coming to Microsoft and in so many ways I felt like that just made me a much better teammate and colleague and leader because I have such different perspectives. I didn't grow up in tech. I didn't grow up in cybersecurity, right? Like I have a kind of an outsider's perspective on a lot of things. I'm like you said music business, nonprofits and foreign policy. So I came to Microsoft five years ago. I was working in foreign policy. I was working on digital trade and international trade policies. And I was a policy director representing the United States business community. Fabulous job. Microsoft reached out to me after I had been doing foreign policy for many years. And they kind of said, hey, we have this interesting opportunity. It's not policy. But we're trying to build teams at Microsoft who can kind of help us lead go to market and help us kind of talk to government customers in a new and interesting way. Like we need people who really get industry. And so they're building kind of these industry marketing teams and they wanted somebody who understood government. So they reached out to me and I had done comms and marketing in a bunch of different ways. And I was like, well, that's interesting. That's different. You know, I'm working in foreign policy and they're coming and approaching me with like a product marketing job in government and so I kind of just leaned into it and I said sure this, this feels different this is new so I came into Microsoft doing uh, go-to-market product marketing for government I kind of built that up that I was asked to lead defense and intelligence so I shifted into that having never worked and done defense and then you know I started to hear a lot more about cybersecurity in the company and just in general and I started to read a lot about like the incredible gap in talent, right? 2.5 million jobs. I think it ranges up to even 3.5 million jobs are open in cybersecurity globally, like every year. That's astounding number. And then I started to read a little bit more of like, you know, 25% or less. So like a fourth of the practitioners, security practitioners are women, right? So this big inequity, of just not enough people in general in cybersecurity. And then there's definitely not enough women. So that got me thinking like, hey, maybe this is an interesting field for me to kind of get into. I saw this really incredible opportunity on the team that I'm on now to kind of do product marketing, but thought leadership in cybersecurity, which is totally my groove. Like that's my thing. That's what I love to do. And that's how I've ended up kind of in my current role in the foundational security built-in security team so I've been on this team now for about a year.
0: And were you completely on board to this new opportunity because I know you said you just kind of leaned into it yeah my I guess I'm speaking from my experience sometimes I feel a little bit intimidated or oh it's a completely new area can I do it do I need to read a ton how do I make sure I'm ready for the job was there Any thoughts like that or how did you kind of upskill for?
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. (laughs) Like, did I have moments where I was thinking, ooh, what do you do? Like, do you know what you're getting into? Yes, I did think that. I will say the biggest transition in my career was coming into Microsoft. By far the biggest company I have ever worked for, right? Like by far. It is equally as like large and matrixed honestly as when I was working in government. Like it's so much. So, I will say from that perspective, coming into a company as large as Microsoft was definitely the big transition. So, moving within Microsoft has been easier than that because that was just so intense for me. So, as I transitioned into cybersecurity, well, it's going to be easier than when I came into the company at least, right? But, you know, I had tangentially worked in security. Like, when you're working in government and you're working on defense, obviously security is a really big top of mind when I'm talking to governments and definitely like in the defense space, right? So it was always kind of there. It, you know, I was familiar with like basic concepts of you know, zero trust and defense in depth. Like I had a familiarity, so I kind of felt comfortable like, hey, maybe I can lean into this more, but I definitely knew I needed to get smart on it, yes. right? I'm super lucky. I'm on a team that has like some amazing technical experts who just school me and coach me and, you know, have been in security and in IT and like working in this field for decades. Mm-hmm. And I get to learn from them. But yeah, like to say I didn't. I wasn't like intimidated or wondering like, oh my gosh, how am I gonna like upskill myself into this like incredibly complex landscape? Yeah, I definitely yes, had those moments. Yeah.
0: You did bring up an important point though, how there are some similarities in working government and policy because I have worked a bit on security and I do see they're similar concepts but done digitally. Like, oh, don't give access. Like you have badges and things are in different rooms. So all of that is you know embedded and. Our software, and yeah. you can do security policies, and yeah. stuff like that. So, well, that's and keeping a good
1: citizens' data safe, yeah, right. That is top of mind. When it, like the kind of information that governments and definitely defense organizations are holding is incredibly sensitive information, so they have to feel a lot of trust and safety that whatever. Um, technology providers they are working with, you know, that their information is safe, their country's stuff is safe, their citizens' information. You know, there's a lot of trust that goes into housing and holding that kind of data for these really large countries. Part of your role, how you
0: mentioned earlier, is focus on product marketing. Can you explain some of the components
1: in this area and working at a big tech company like Microsoft? Yeah, I completely fell into product marketing. And it's a really, so, you know, that transition from working in foreign policy, I had never worked doing traditional product marketing as this, you know, product marketing is like kind of this very large official genre of work right and when I was doing the foreign policy job I was very upfront with them like I had done marketing I had done comms in a lot of different realms but I told Microsoft I said hey I know marketing I know comms and I definitely know like thought leadership and storytelling to governments I get all that but this job like in the title it says product marketing I just need you guys to know I don't like I do not come from a product marketing background and I really appreciated Microsoft's response they said look We are trying to truly understand these particular industries. And so we want people who know how to talk to them, how to talk to like governments. What are the government pain points? How are they thinking about technology solutions? And we can teach you, right? Or you will learn or, you know, or you'll figure out kind of all of the more technical product marketing stuff. And it's true. So that's just to say I sort of fell into it all. What I do in terms of product marketing, even though that's my official title, I will say I'm not a traditional product marketer in terms I'm not pushing like Azure or, you know, like I don't have one thing I'm pushing, I'm pushing all the things. So my team, we are basically trying to um, shift perceptions for customers that Microsoft builds secure products. Like we want customers to feel like, hey, when I buy something from Microsoft, I trust that Microsoft built it securely, that they shipped it securely, that they continue to kind of deploy it securely. And all of their pain points and everything that you know, all of the different problems that they are encountering, we don't come at them with just one product. We're like, well, here's the plethora. Here is your smorgasbord of ways that we can help solve that. So I'm an interesting product marketer in that I am like very much a solution product marketer. Like you have a problem, here's all the ways we can solve it versus I'm just trying to sell one particular product.
0: Exactly. And within that, you and your team focus on built-in security. Can
1: you explain what this consists of? Yeah, so we're we're such an interesting and unique team in the security side. So if you think about Microsoft, you know, Microsoft is sort of you can think of of security in Microsoft sort of in two ways. Like we are a security company, so you think of all of the products that we sell. And that's kind of recent, right? That's like the last three or four years have we really become like a security company. And we've grown to now 20 plus billion as a security company. Like the trajectory of that growth just is mind boggling. So we're a security company in one hand, but we're also a secure company, right? You know, Outside of the security products we sell, we also want customers to understand all of the products you know, we have built and delivered and deployed, we also think about that and and do that in a secure manner. So that is the kind of stuff my team focuses on, that secure company side. And what we're trying to do is we go to different teams, like product teams and platforms. And so you think of Azure and, and modern work and all the windows. And we're just trying to go and say, what's all the stuff that you're building in? Like, what are you building into Azure? So it's not necessarily all of these additional things a customer has to buy, but, you know, your processes, like in Azure or Windows, what are you building in, what's free, what's embedded, what's out of the box that we can evangelize and talk about? And what we do is we string all those stories together across the company, because the company is really great at talking about them kind of individually. Like the Windows team is fantastic, like talking about built-in security, and Azure's great talking about you know what they do. And but. No one was tying these threads together and sort of shouting from the mountaintops, holistically, like, here's how Microsoft is a secure company, right? So that's my team. It's very much kind of part thought leadership, perception shifting. And then we're also part kind of traditional product marketing where we work closely with engineering and different teams to also talk about like, Hey, what are the kinds of things that we should consider being on by default? or you know what are the kinds of things we should consider maybe not having it be paid for but being something that is given to all customers for free so that's essentially the heart of what my team does i would say in a sentence we're we're like a perception shifting thought leadership team
0: are there any public use cases or stories that have been released of partnerships or how i don't know entities and government or other companies have gone With this built-in security paradigm?
1: Yeah. So the U.S. government right now has launched a pretty large initiative where it's basically setting out guiding principles for technology providers within the United States. If you want to do business with the U.S. government, they're basically saying you need to be thinking about secure by design and secure by default. Right. Like you have to have these sort of basic fundamental ways of building and deploying your products securely so that we as a government can partner with you. But also so that our citizens, you know, when they're buying as a consumer, can feel confident in what you're building. So I would say, I mean, the U.S. government is sort of stepping out there at the forefront. But as Microsoft, you know, we fully support that. Like, again, we are like we do secure by design. If you look at MFA, we do amazing like secure by default things now too. But I would say that is a really interesting framework for folks to look at is the new, the CISA, Cybersecurity Infrastructure Agency's secure by design, secure by default framework.
0: Got it. And I know security is very broad and we could talk a lot about it. There's lots of areas that we could go in depth, but... We only have so much time for the show. I did want to ask you, are there any top of mind, one or two security features that every organization should implement?
1: Yeah, great question. You know, I think a lot of security practitioners would sort of just say, like, basic security hygiene, MFA, 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 multi-factor authentication. So from an administrative standpoint, you know, security defaults in Azure AD, Azure Active Directory, are, you know, I think available to, to everyone. Last year, we rolled out broader security defaults to existing tenants, where before they were for tenants, I think, I don't know exactly the date, but it wasn't to like all existing tenants. And But in our additional rollout, we were able to protect an additional 60 million users, which is just like mind boggling. And most of them... I think kept that on so if you think about identity related attacks 99.9 percent of them did not have MFA <laughs> okay I mean so if there is one thing or two thing or three things or five things that you can do for your organization MFA like wow the statistics on how much it would reduce I will say as a consumer I evangelize MFA to everybody too, right? Like this isn't just for enterprises and large businesses. I put MFA on everything that I have now. You know, for me, like the extra step, I have authenticator apps. I do it on literally absolutely anything that has to do with my banking, my finances, all my airline miles, my credit cards. I mean, anything that if somebody got that information, it would be devastating. My Amazon account, like everything. I, as a consumer, enable MFA because just being on this side of security now and seeing what that extra step is compared to the like devastating damage, not like that's just a consumer. And then you think of as a company, you know, phishing attacks or all of the things that come when somebody can access basically somebody's login and do damage that way. Like as a consumer, I absolutely you know, for me, MFA is, is like not even something I have to think about now, like MFA, MFA, MFA. <laughs>
0: awesome. I want to switch gears a little bit before we finish. And I want to ask you because I saw your, in addition to everything you've worked on in different areas, you are also a member of this public speaking group called Toastmasters. Yeah. So I wanted to
1: ask you about it. What are some of the things you learned there? And what is it? I was a president of the Toastmasters Seattle Downtown Club and we were one of the most decorated public speaking clubs in the area. And Toastmasters is basically a program. It's an international program to help people become better speakers. Like, you know, fundamentally that's the mission statement. And traditionally what it is, it's like a series of manuals that you can go through and move through that teach you storytelling, that teach you business presentations like it's a wide range of different kinds of basically public speaking courses that you're taking but the real heart of where toastmasters comes into is the club so what you do is there's so i mean there's thousands of clubs all over the world microsoft actually has our own toastmasters clubs that people can um, go to or you can go to your neighborhood i used to do the downtown seattle one when i worked in downtown seattle and You go in person to these clubs and you basically, you know, go move through the manuals with the club. So you will just constantly be going up, giving public speaking presentations. You will have somebody who will time you. You will have two people who will review every presentation you give. You will have somebody, what we even call the bean counter, where you will have a bean and a can. And anytime you use what's called a filler word, you do something like that, they'll put a bean in so you can audibly hear yourself and for me, it was like an amazing, there is no silver bullet to being a better public speaker. You know, people always want to know, oh, if you're a good public speaker, like how did you do that like overnight? And people want to be Oprah overnight. And you, there's no silver bullet. But the closest thing I have found is Toastmasters. So I, I think if is interested in finding, like how can I be a better public speaker, I would really recommend looking at, and joining and definitely participating at a club, if you can in person, because it's a very different feeling to give a presentation in person than it is, you know, remotely, as we know. But I am an incredible advocate for Toastmasters. What prompted you to join this club? I was not a comfortable public speaker before. It's really that simple. I distinctly remember having a moment in college. I was giving a public speaking presentation in front of people. I tripped on some words. I freaked out. I didn't know what to do. I froze. I did something really weird with my leg. It's so ingrained in my head. And I thought, oh my gosh, I have to do better. I can't react like that. And public speaking is such a big, boost like if you can be a good public speaker i think it can take you a really long way and i just wanted that con like who doesn't want to just be confident even at a dinner party or giving a wedding toast so i think i just had that moment that so many of us have where i just thought oh my gosh that was so bad and i just didn't want to have that feeling again
0: yes exactly (laughs) and uh, that's great i was just curious where you came from like if somebody recommended you to go but it's more personal experience self-reflecting wanting to be better instead of Avoiding speaking, which is something that unfortunately some people decide to do. Yeah, yeah. One other question I want to ask you as we wrap up is a general advice question for recent grads. It doesn't have to be tech-focused or career-focused. It could be any general tip that you would give someone that's just early in their career.
1: I get a lot of people early in their career interested in getting into Microsoft, interested in getting into tech, I would say like at a high level, there is a lot of intrigue and a lot of interest when people want to get into tech and they use it so broadly. And I would say that a lot of people think of tech and they just think big, big, big companies, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, like huge companies. And You know, as recent graduates, like the thing that I advise is tech is a huge field and there's a lot of tech companies that aren't just the big giant ones. And everybody wants to do the big giant ones. And I get it. I understand. They're very cool. And it's kind of the goal. But I would say you know, don't dismiss kind of the smaller tech companies, which can definitely be either one completely satisfying and gratifying as a career. You could only work there and absolutely have an amazing career. Or you could also think of them as ways to, you know, step into one of the larger companies eventually. So I guess, you know, the nut of that or the meat of that is, you know, if you're graduating and you don't get a job at Microsoft right away, that's not the end of the world right like there's so many other ways that you can get into tech and i would say most people don't even work in when they say i work in tech they aren't working at the big companies that people always think about
0: exactly that's that's great advice well mia i want to thank you for taking time to come on the show here at build it's really exciting to have you on it's been great Ina thank you
1: so much it's great to see you at build thank you